So uh, there's a difference between perceived cost and actual cost. Uh, a perceived cost, uh, typically in business, has to do with what a person is willing to pay to purchase something. And the actual cost has to do with um, you know, what's required to manufacture or make something. Uh, and oftentimes, there can be a big difference between kind of you know, another way to think of it might be like the cost of something and the value of something. Uh, one of the most, you know, for example, one of the most overpriced things in the world, in fact, uh, by percentage, is uh, popcorn. Popcorn at a movie theater. You know, uh, after considering that, you know, you know, when you go to the movie, and you guys know, if you go to the movies, Everything's super over, like all the food there and the drinks are like really overpriced, right? But popcorn in particular, if you consider that they buy it in bulk, the average markup of movie theater popcorn is 1,275%. That's the percentage markup. So like 100% is like double the cost, right? It's 1,000, it's 1,200% of what it would cost you to kind of go to the market and buy popcorn and make it yourself, probably motivation for you to do that and then take it into the theater, although I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Um, another thing that's really uh, overpriced is like Beats by Dre. Sorry if any of you guys have Beats by Dre. But um, it's one of the most like overpriced headphones. Apparently it costs about $14 to manufacture, um, you know, like a, a set of headphones, but then it costs anywhere from like $150 to $500. So that's an average of, well, it, it's like a 1,000 to 3,000 percent Markup, which is also a very high markup, but the one that actually got me and made me really angry, okay, because I don't really buy popcorn at the movie theater, and I don't own Beats by Dre, but the one that got me really mad was um, printer ink cartridges. Printer ink cartridges, because oftentimes they'll cost like $60, and I'm talking about like inkjet printers, so not toner, but it'll cost like $60 for one of these cartridges or a pack of cartridges, whatever. And you know how much it costs to manufacture? It costs 23 cents. It costs 23 cents to manufacture one of those little things. And you know what's crazy? At, at $30 for a 42 milliliter cartridge of black ink, that comes out to about 71 cents per milliliter if you're to break it down per milliliter. And the Red Cross <laughs> charges $200 for 500 milliliters of blood meaning blood costs 40 cents per milliliter and ink costs 70 cents per milliliter. It costs more than blood. Ink costs more than blood. Is that insane, like thinking about that? Now the question is, is ink worth more than blood? It costs more than blood, so apparently people are paying more for ink than they are for blood. But is it worth more than blood? Is it more valuable than blood? I mean, I would argue no. <laughs> I think blood is probably more valuable than ink. And the reason I, okay, so the reason I bring this up is because I have a question for you. Does the perceived cost of following Jesus match the actual cost of following Jesus for you? Essentially, are we willing to pay what Jesus is worth? Now, we're in Lent. 
right? Uh, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series on Lent, which is the season leading up to Easter Resurrection Sunday. And um, it's, it's 40 days before Easter, excluding Sundays. And it's a season during which oftentimes we fast. I know a lot of you guys are doing that. We abstain from certain things or we try to, um, you know, it's a, it's a reflective, meditative time. A lot of times we participate in these more ascetic disciplines like fasting, like meditation, like silence and solitude. In an effort to grow in our intimacy with the person of Jesus, to actually grow close to Jesus. It's not penance, you know, it's not things we do because we feel bad or to pay for something we've done. It's not things we do so we can feel good about our religious selves, you know, to be self-righteous. It's things that we do to clear space so that we can get closer to Jesus. And this season is a great opportunity for us to consider the sincerity of our discipleship. And what we'll talk about today is why it is important to do that. Why it, is, why it is important from time to time to consider the cost of following Jesus. Um, that's, that's the question that we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, uh, 26 through 35. We'll take it piece by piece. Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going to read all the way through verse uh, 35. This is God's word, and it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's read on. Verse 28, it says, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down to count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So why, why should we consider the cost of following Jesus? Now, a few things come out in this passage, and we're going to start kind of here before, and, and we'll go back and look at some of the other things that he said in the earlier uh, text. But here's the first reason, you know, why we should consider, uh, consider the cost. We should consider the cost of following Jesus because, quite simply, it is wise it is wise to do so. And he gives two examples here. He says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down to count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? If, if you're going to build a tower, you would make sure that you have enough to complete it. Only a fool starts something that he knows he's not going to finish as whatever. And the idea here is if you started a tower, if you started a building, 
you started to build something, but then you didn't finish it, then it would stand as a monument to your foolishness. Right? Because everybody would be able to see, oh, there's that guy, you know, kind of this fool who started to build something, but was not able to finish building it. Then he gives another example. He says, uh, if a king were going to war, he would carefully consider the situation. And, and in this example, in this analogy, the king is outmatched. He has 10,000 troops. The other king has 20,000 troops. And he's saying, if you're going to, you're going to carefully consider in this situation. Now, maybe if you, you know, you had 10,000 troops and the other guy has five troops, you wouldn't really consider it carefully. You think, ah, well, we, we're way, we way outmatch them, so who cares? Let's go conquer them. Right? Like, you're, you know, you're, you guys ever played Risk? You know, you're playing a game of Risk, right? And you're going to have to take over some country, you know, and if you have a bunch of guys and they don't have a lot of guys there, then you might, you might just do it, right? You wouldn't think about it. But if it's equal or if you're outmatched two to one, then you'll think about it. Oh, should I do this? Right? You would carefully consider it. And he says the conclusion you would probably come to is, in fact, not to go to war, but to send a delegation to broker a peace. Many things are a waste if we don't finish them, right? Like starting something that you know you're never going to finish, like, you know, putting up a fence or like a roof on a house. Like if it's unfinished, it's useless, right? Building a bridge, you know, a br- if you're building a bridge from two sides, but they never meet in the middle, that's a kind of dumb thing to do if you know you're never going to finish it. And what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to be a disciple, if you really want to follow him, then you have to count the cost. And I think this is both an encouragement uh, the reason that he gives these two examples here, you know, one is about building something before you start. That is kind of the idea is if you're going to step into a relationship, if you're going to start following Jesus, consider all the things that he says. Jesus never baits and switches, right? He doesn't say, hey, come to me. Your life will be easy. I'll give you money and bread and, you know, I'll, I'll put you up in a high position. Like Jesus never says that anywhere, right? In fact, there are crowds following him and oftentimes he's saying, hey, all you guys want is bread. All you guys want is miracles. All you guys want is this kind of stuff. And if that's what you want, then don't follow me because that's not what I'm about. He never tricks them, right? He doesn't say, hey, follow me. I'll give you all this good stuff. And then one day he says, also, you have to be willing to pay all the, like, you have to be willing to give up your life. No, he doesn't do that. He's very upfront. He says, here is the cost. If you're going to follow me, consider the cost. But there's another part of it, this, this war analogy. This war analogy is not something being considered before anything is started. It's Really, it's for people who are already following Jesus. It's the idea of you're already in this situation. What it is to follow Jesus is complete surrender. Right? Like, you can go to war with Jesus. You can go to war with God. Like, you can fight for your own sovereignty. Or you can recognize that you're outmatched and you can surrender. And, you know, if that's not what you want, right, think about that. Think about that cost, because that's, that's the cost. That's the cost of discipleship. Now, of course, this cost, like the specifics of this cost, is laid out. 
right? So he does say some specific things. He says, if anyone does not, uh, comes to me, does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So obviously something, he's saying something there. You know, what are these costs? And I think there's a few things that we see. One is he says, count the cost of essentially changing relationships. Count the cost of your re- giving up your relationships, Right In the ancient Near East, in this time, familial relationships were the closest kind there were. Right? Um, you know, your parents were such an integral, integral part of your life, your identity. You often, you know, when you read the Bible, right, sometimes they'll say like, oh, you know, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Right? It's like, yeah, because that's an that's a, that's a integral part of your identity. That's a central part of who you are. You did the job of your father, Right? Joseph was a carpenter, so Jesus was a carpenter. Like, that's just, it was all set for you already. There was none of this, like, wanderlust, you know, go find your life, right? Go out on trips and, like, discover what you're about. You know, that, I mean, that didn't exist in this time, right? Your family determined a lot of your life. In fact, also, people getting married, right? There were arranged marriages. Most men got married when they're, by the time they're 18. Most women got married by the time they're 13, and so they didn't really decide. And for us, it's hard because our culture is such that Eastern culture is really looked down upon, right? Which for some of us is awkward because we are like, we have multiple cultures. It puts us at odds with our parents. But, you know, like in American movies, right? A lot of times, like, these are the oppressive things <laughs> that the Eastern family does, right? Or whatever, whatever family, the, the bad parents, they force you to marry this person or they force you to, like, do this career. And the whole story is about, well, I don't want to do that, right? I want to live my own life. I want to have my own freedom. I want self-actualization. I'm not saying this is good or bad one way or the other, but we have to understand that. When we read stuff like this, we're not going to fully grasp the weight, the, the weight of what Jesus is saying. This was the clo- – like imagine Jesus is saying everything that you think is important to you, right, that you think is central to your identity, your job, your best friend, right, your, your spouse or your children. I mean those things are included here. Like all that stuff. Okay, if you don't hate that, if you don't hate that, you can't follow me. Now, obviously, he's not saying you should hate, you know, your parents or your family. This is a kind of a it's a it's a literary way of comparing something. So saying what he's saying is compared to loving Jesus, if you don't hate those things, if it doesn't appear like hate compared to your love for Jesus, then you can't follow me. So it doesn't mean we have to remove these relationships, obviously. We need relationships. But the nature of these relationships must change. Jesus is the one who completes us, right? Jesus is the one who's our best friend. You know, not in a corny way, but like in a sincere way, like actually. You know, Jesus is the one who we depend on. He's the one who we seek for advice and wisdom and counsel. He's the one that we want to have influence over our lives and our decisions and our morality and all these kind of things that we think about for our lives It needs to be Christ. And we, from time to time, must consider that cost, the cost of that. Now, secondly, he says, uh, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
you know, for those of us who've been in church, we know that that cross entails suffering. And I'll, I'll say, you know, there is a certain amount of suffering and persecution that's entailed in, in wanting to follow Jesus. But I'll say even, here's a couple kinds of, you know, suffering I think that all Christians will have to go through. Uh, here's a taking up of the cross that all Christians will have to go through, wherever you live, kind of whatever circumstance that you're in. One is uh, confession of sin, right? Like there is a kind of suffering that is entailed in confession where you have to give up what people think of you. And this is part of the idea of being a Christian. And it's really relevant like in our world because so much of our world is based on perception, you know, how you look and even social media, you know, pictures and all these kind of things. It's so important for us to like have a certain image of our lives, like who we are. And Christianity is very countercultural to that, right? The idea of Jesus is just be who you are, whoever you actually are, be upfront about your, you know, just whatever, right? Not only bad things was like whatever you're good at, whatever you're bad at, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you care about, your mistakes, your failures, all that stuff too. It's all kind of, you are free to be upfront about that because of the cross of Christ, because Jesus has paid for all that. And that is a kind of suffering, in fact, right, to embrace that. It's tough. There is something about letting go of that perception that's difficult, I think. And even there is an introspective, aspect too there's a actual looking in the mirror and saying like this is who i am that's hard sometimes like oh wow i'm actually this is actually who i i am this selfish sometimes you know like i am this angry or i am this impatient like sometimes being able to confess that even to uh, or i should say admit that even to ourselves is very difficult now obviously jesus is talking about a actual physical and, you know, well, a physical persecution and suffering that we need to be willing to step into. Um, But I think it entails all of this too, you know, the kind of emotional challenges that there are. Now, thirdly, he says here, verse 33, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple, right? So count the cost of renouncing really anything that we possess that gets in the way of Christ. And this would mostly be kind of material possessions, money. But if we think about our resources, money, time, our possessions, be it anything that would get in the way of your following Jesus, you know, maybe something you consume, like a entertainment, food, drink, a person, a friend, a parent, whatever, um, to be able to renounce it, giving it up for the sake of knowing Jesus, that's a cost that we must be willing to pay. So now he's giving this and he's saying, okay, so you got to consider that. If you really want to follow Jesus, both for the first time or to continue to follow, this is something that you need to think about, something that you need to consider. Right, And he gives, finally, so a second thing that he says, because 
Firstly, he says it's wise because you've got to be able to complete it. Secondly, he says considering the cost makes our discipleship effective. And he gives this, he, he talks about this salt here. He says salt is good, but if, it, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of, no, it's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. And that's not talking about, it's really, those are uses, right? They would use salt for the soil or they would use salt as fertilizer. And he's saying it's not useful for either of those things if it loses its saltiness. So it's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's, there's kind of a couple things built in there. We should consider our discipleship because it helps us to keep that which makes us disciples, our saltiness. And in fact, there's a warning built in. He's also kind of saying, and Jesus says similar things in like Revelation, for example, if a church is not effective, you can lose your lampstand. Essentially like, your churchness. And he's saying something similar here. Like if a disciple is not effective, you can lose your discipleness. So you should consider it. When uh, our discipleship is not effective, when we're not engaging in sacrifice for Christ and therefore not growing in Christ, it's easy to stop investing. It's easy to stop like investing in the word. It's easy to stop praying. It's easy to stop worshiping. It's easy to stop gathering. It's easy to stop. It's easy to lose kind of just that which is essential to discipleship. But when you have the cost in mind, it helps keep you on track. When you have the cost in mind, it helps keep our discipleship, in fact, effective. When we assume that sacrifice is part of the job is like part of what will help us grow, there's almost a sense that we're not doing, like, not to say, okay, you're not doing something right if things are too easy, not in a, not in a guilt-ridden or like a legalistic way, but in kind of a self-aware, check-myself kind of way, right? Like um, at home, like Boomi and I, we often, like, we kind of take turns doing things, uh, whether it's, like, cooking or cleaning or, like, watching the kids, um, you know, on days that I do that in the day, like, she does it after work, and then in days where I'm, you know, out during the day, then I'll do it after she comes home from work. And there's, and it's kind of like, we have a kind of system, but really, we also, it kind of just works out because one day, if you end up doing a lot of the stuff, like, I'll end up doing stuff, and we put the kids to, you know, to bed separately, you know, she puts Josiah to bed and I put Micah to bed. And oftentimes we'll fall asleep like when we're doing that. And so if I fall asleep on Monday, then she ends up doing everything. You know, she'll, she'll clean, she'll cook for the next day, like she'll do everything. And then she'll go to sleep like really late. And what often happens is the next day, she'll fall asleep because she's tired. And then I'll do it, right? And I'll do the things and I'll like cook everything and like clean everything. And like, you know, and that ends up happening. But there's times where... I will, like, fall asleep, like, multiple days in a row. So I fall asleep on Monday, and then I'm putting Micah to bed on Tuesday, and then I fall asleep again, and then, I, and then I'll do it again on, like, Wednesday. And if that happens, then oftentimes, do you know how I feel? I feel really not tired, right, because I slept a lot. I, like, overslept. Because when we put them to sleep, it's, like, 8 or 9, you know. And then I'm just waking up the next morning, and that means I slept a lot, right? And so, you know, if that happens, then I'm, like, and I'm, like, really like not tired the next day, then do you know what I think? I often think like, oh, like I'm supposed to do more stuff today because I'm not supposed to be this not tired. 
Like something's wrong. Either we, we like, either Boomi's doing too much or we, we like lost one of our kids somewhere. If, if this is what's happening, like I'm, I'm this not tired, I'm supposed to be more tired than I am right now. And there's kind of something about, like, it's built in. It doesn't make me unhappy. You know, it's like, I'm not, like, mad because I, oh, I have to do this and this. No, it's like, because I expect it. I know that that's what's supposed to happen. And if that's not happening, like, thinking about that, co- remembering that that is the cost of, you know, essentially parenthood, uh, remembering that makes me think, oh, yeah, like, something's wrong. Like, I'm not, I'm not tired enough right now. I should be a little bit more tired. That helps me to be effective, in fact, as a parent and a spouse, right? Remembering that that is the cost that I'm supposed to be paying. That's normal. And it also yields great benefit. So it's important, right? Considering the cost helps make our discipleship effective when we, when we remember, oh, it is supposed to cost something. Now, here's the, here's the last thing I'd say. It's probably the most important thing. Uh, Considering the cost reminds us of the value. Considering the cost reminds us of the value. Right? Whenever we consider the cost of our discipleship, we are drawn to the value of our discipleship. For the cost of following Jesus cannot be separated from the value of doing so. So it's kind of like, like when you think back, if you were to look at some of your purchases, right, something you bought or something you, I guess just something you invested in, right? You invested a lot of time in or you invested money in, right? There's kind of two ways that you can look at that. You can go back and look at that. One, you can be sad that you wasted your money. Right? You could think about something you were really into when you were like a long time ago, you know, when you were young or something like that. Or maybe when you were in like college or something and you were really into something and you invested a lot of money into it. Some kind of like fashion thing, some kind of computer, you know, some device or something or some kind of whatever. Right? Some hobby that you had. You were really into it and you just poured a bunch of money and time into it. And now you don't care about it at all. Right? Let's just say, for example, I'm going to use you know, some dumb example or something so that you don't feel like I'm talking about you. But, you know, like, let's, let's say, like, in college, for some reason, you went through some, you got really into, like, pogs. You guys remember that? Like, you know, you know what, what things that elementary school kids do. Like, for some reason, you were just really into it when you were in college, okay? Let's say, and you started investing, like, hundreds of dollars into this. Right, you're just pouring money into it, and you're putting time into it, and you're just trying, like, you're just doing this all day, and you're trying to flip over these little things, like, and like thousands of dollars ends up going into that, and then you look back now, and you think about it, and you would think, like, oh my gosh, what a waste of time, right, like, what a waste of time and money. That's one way you could look at the cost of something, you know, you, like, like popcorn or printer ink, whatever. Or another way is you can look back at something, the cost, something that costs you a lot, time and money and investment, and you can be happy about it. Right? You can think, wow, like I'm so glad that I did that. 
I'm so glad that that was a part of my life. And when you think about the sacrifices that you made as a part of that, you think it was worth it. In fact, oftentimes you may think it was more than worth it. Because at the time, I thought it was so hard, and at the time, I thought it was so difficult, and at the time, I thought, is this going to be worth it? And you look back now, you know, and it may be some, it may, it may be a thing, right? Like, sometimes you look back at something you purchased, and you're just like, man, I really like this phone, and I'm glad I spent the money on this phone. It is doing what I wanted to do, is it, or this car, like, I bought this car, and it was kind of an investment, but you know what? It has really paid off, and I'm glad that I have this. It can be that. It can be something that you're doing in your life. Like you went back to school and you got some degree and it was really hard and at the time you doubted whether it would be worth it. But now that's your career. That's what you're doing. And you see, wow, it was worth it. It can be some relationship. Where when you're going through it at the time, you feel like, oh, I don't know, like this is really hard. And I've never had to do some of these things and I've never had to talk about some of these things and I've never had these things pulled out of me. But you look back and you're like, wow, it was really worth it. I'm happy that I made that investment. So considering the cost of following Jesus often is what teaches us the value of having paid that cost. Because it's not true that God never gives us more than we can handle. That's, that's not really true. You know, God, God gives us more than we can handle often. But it is true that he never calls us to more than he's given us and continues to give us. He might give you more than you can handle, but he'll never call you to do something more than what he's already done. He'll never call us to give up more than what he's already given up on our behalf. Jesus is the greatest value in the universe. It costs us everything to maximally appreciate his value. And yet, if we do that, we're getting a bargain. In other words, the more costly Jesus is to you, the more valuable he becomes to you. Which is why we have to consider the cost. I want to share this quote with you. I often go back to my boy Dietrich. <laughs> He's um, with the Lord now, but... <laughs> Costly grace is... The hidden treasure in the field, for the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is a pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must, which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. And he compares kind of costly grace to cheap grace. Cheap grace is essentially grace that doesn't cost us anything you know he says like forgiveness without repentance baptism without discipline communion without confession it's kind of like getting things 
from God, but not giving anything. And what he says is essentially that notion. Like theologically, there's a sense in which grace is free, right? Like theologically, that makes sense because the terms are very technical. But in our actual lives, there's a sense in which that's not true. That kind of grace is cheap. It doesn't actually do anything for us. He says, it is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. So it is both costly and yet grace. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Above all, it's costly because it cost God his son. But above all, it's grace because his own son wasn't too much to pay for us. I hope that we use this season to step into this notion and this meditation to consider to consider that um you know in my own my own uh my own lent lenting i don't know what to <laughs> this this season for me and so one of the things i gave up was social media um and it's very interesting uh, i didn't really I, I don't care about social media that much but I realized that I was spending more time on it than I thought, you know, because I just deleted the apps from my phone and stuff. And, you know, like when you think an app is there and so you push, you know, you like click it, but then it's not what used to be there. And I did find myself doing that. I didn't think I'd be doing that, but I would like I like would go to my phone and I would just, you know, we're just like zombies. I don't know. We just do. We're creatures of habit. Right. And we just when I would have this moment, like a spare moment, I'm in line or something, I would just go and I would just push the same places that I'd go before and I I realized that oh I I I did spend some time on this and having it out of my life has been crazy actually and I started adding more and more things to my own fast um except for food <laughs> I haven't had any food yet but um just other things and I I found that I would play like a game you know there was and there's a certain game you guys know what I'm talking about you know there's this game that people play and uh, I was I would play that game too but I actually found that I would play that game so then I deleted it and then uh like a few days later I was like oh, I want to play it again so I re-downloaded it right but I didn't I wasn't like fasting it you know I just like deleted it because you know I just I just didn't I just didn't want to play for a couple days so I get the game back and then I open it and all of my progress is gone that I did before. And then so I realized, oh, I can't, I have to, if I want to play this game again, I have to start over from the beginning. And I thought, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Right? Like, I don't want to start over from the beginning. And so I just deleted it. So now it's completely gone. And for like a second, I thought, oh, man, like I lost all my, you know, I lost all my progress like in this game. And then I thought, nah, who cares? Like, it's not a, you know, it's, it's stupid, right? It's not a big deal. And the reason I'm saying this is because it's kind of counterintuitive 
Because a lot of times it feels like giving up things for God is bad. You know, like we feel oppressed in doing so. Like, oh, man, I got to go to church every Sunday. And to add God things into our lives, like, oh, you know, now there's life group. And now there's, now I serve, you know, and then uh, missions, you know. And there's other things. And it seems like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do all these things and it's, in, it's infringing on my freedom, you know, because I like to do other things. But that's a deception is what I'm saying, right? Like that's a trick. When, we, when it costs more, it's worth more. The more you give up to God, the more valuable he is. And there is this great joy Right? There is this great joy in being able to continue. You know, here's, here's a, this is from Luke slightly before, and it's part of the, the kind of the, this section of Luke, but it, it's a little bit earlier. This is from Luke 13. It says, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. It says, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And what these things, I don't want to get too much into it, but a, a mustard seed is a, is a really small seed. It's like the smallest. And when he talks about a, a mustard, when he talks about a mustard plant, a mustard plant is like this big. You know, and so it's it's really not a tree. It's 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 a plant, and it's like it's like it's like this, right? And when he says it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches, what he's talking about is like some gross over, you know, oversized thing because it's just a plant that's supposed to be like, you know, yay big, but it becomes this like ridiculous large tree where birds are coming and makes, making nests in its branches. He's saying, that's what it's like to invest into the kingdom of God. You know, it's like yeast. It's like, it's like unseen. You don't know what's happening, but then it goes all the way through all the dough and it, it leavens it. I would say this if we're if we haven't really considered our discipleship or if we have considered many times, continue to count the cost, right? Continue to count the cost and continue to discover the value, right? Continue to count the cost because I guarantee if you are actually sowing into your discipleship, if you're actually sowing into Jesus, then the value exceeds the cost every time. No matter what you count that you've given or that you must give, what you get back will always exceed it. And just I want to say one other thing because I, I feel like our church is in a certain season right now. And I would say continue to sow gospel seeds. Keep sowing gospel seeds. And, you know, part of the reason that, you know, we just sang that song, right, in worship. Uh, you know, there's a cloud. It's called There's a Cloud. And the idea is 
you know, it's like we receive your rain. The idea is the story from Elijah when he's talking about the cloud is because God keeps saying, go back, go back, go back. And when he goes back the last time, what he says is, I see a cloud on the horizon. You know, he says, oh, like, I, finally, I see something's out there. Right? It's coming. And, you know, a couple of weeks we talked about dryness, right? There is something, like, keep sowing gospel seeds because God's reign is on the horizon, right? Keep sowing the seed of gospel-centered confession. Keep sowing the seeds of gospel-centered community. You know, keep investing in those relationships. Keep serving God's people, making yourself available, and Christ will break through in community. Keep sowing the seed of gospel-centered mission, and God will break through into the hardened soil. He will implant himself deep because God's righteousness will break through in your heart. First your heart, then your habits. Because there are seasons of dryness, but there are also seasons of rain. And one of the best parts of discipleship is to see a cloud on the horizon where God is coming. And my prayer, you know, as we go through this Lent, is that that would be where we are, you know, on our knees, expectantly anticipating God's refreshing, you know, spirit to come forth. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much. That the cost of following you, though it is high, God, though it costs us really everything, God, a willingness to give up our our closest relationships, a willingness to renounce really everything that we have, uh, a willingness even to follow you into suffering and persecution, Though it is incredibly costly, God, it, the cost never exceeds the value. In fact, God, when we follow you, and even if we give up everything, we're getting a bargain. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you implant that truth deep in our hearts? Would you help us to continue to sow those seeds knowing that that is the truth, God? Would you help us to continue to serve and to love and to sacrifice knowing that that is the truth, God? Knowing that there is so much to be received in return from you that we have already received because of the cross and the resurrection and knowing, God, that there are seasons of dryness and there are seasons of rain and we anticipate that fresh wind and that fresh rain and your fresh the freshness of your spirit God so we humbly ask and we just want to wait for you lead us in that God we thank you and we love you in Jesus name we pray.